This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast. And here at the Finding Holy podcast, we help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. For most of us, it's really easy to segregate our lives into different boxes. There's a box for relationships, there's a box for work, there's a box for the things of Jesus on Sundays. And here at the Finding Holy podcast, our aim is to help you bring them all together in practical, thoughtful ways. Be sure to stick around. And at the end, I'm going to give you one small step to take with you into your life so you can actually make something practical and you'll get to hear a little bit about my guest's laundry routines at the end of our conversation. My guest today is Rochella J. Parham. She is the recent author of the book Mythical Me, and she's a writer, a speaker, and the author also of a book called A Spiritual Formation Primer. She serves as vice chair on the board of directors of Renovare, and she is also a worship coordinator at the Gathering Church and a member of Redbud Writers Guild. Rochella lives in Durham, North Carolina with her husband, Jack. You can find out more about Rochella at her website, Imparting Grace.com. Listen in to this great conversation all about social media, about comparison, about how we actually root out the lies that we believe day in and day out that we might not even be aware of. It's a rich conversation. Listen in. Here's my conversation with Rochella. All right, I am excited, friends, to welcome to the podcast this week, Rochella J. Parham. And we are chatting about comparison, social media, so many things that we're easily able to kind of get sucked into the trap. And so I'm excited to learn together. Welcome. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your book, Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. Why did you want to write a book on comparison? I didn't want to write a book on <laughs> Isn't that how it always is? <laughs> I think so. The, the more I talk to other authors, the more I find that that tends to be true. It's yep. like, um, I guess our books find us in some way. Mm. So um, I decided to write a book on comparison because it has been a lifelong struggle for me. Mm-hmm. And when I, um, when I look for help about how to, how to combat it, I didn't really find anything that was helpful. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of fluff. And mm-hmm. I found some cheerleading, which I realized can be helpful sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I didn't find anything that that dug into it in a way that I could really kind of mm. sink down into and find any rest mm. in. Um, so I had to keep digging. And after a while, I realized I had studied it a lot to no avail and I needed a, a different approach. Mm. And um, actually, very accidentally, began getting some relief when I started studying the Trinity. That was a surprise to me. Mm. And um, after I found a way out of a trap that I was so deeply mired in, I thought, you know, maybe maybe some other people could use this perspective. Mm. 
And I began the long process of writing a book. It's hilarious, Ashley. (laughs) Writing a book about comparison is a great way to compare yourself to other people. (laughs) Right, right, right. One of the ways that I've compared myself to other people is how, how do you write a book? And I'm amazed at the people who seem able to write books really quickly. So at this rate, I'm going to write one about every, oh, maybe 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So I would love to hear one, if you could comment on why was the fluff and the cheerleading um, surface level stuff about just don't compare yourself, dig into yourself, you're beautiful. Tell us why that wasn't satisfying. Well, intellectually, it wasn't particularly satisfying, but I think my need was so deep Mm. that superficial help just wasn't getting to where I needed to go. I, you know, ended up needing the help of a therapist Mm -hmm. to discover the the roots of, Mm -hmm. of my issue with comparison and discovered that there were a lot of layers to it, but they, Mm -hmm. they all traced back actually to a a birth defect that I Mm -hmm. have. So it was a really deep-seated issue, and um, the help I found was sort of usually presented along the lines that if you just know that comparison is a bad idea, then Mm. bingo, (laughs) you'll be able to just not do this because Mm. you now now you know it's bad for you, so you won't do it anymore. Mm. And it just didn't prove to be true in my case. No, and we can't, right, we can't educate ourselves out of sin. Well, yeah. And I, I would say that I don't, I don't think that comparison itself is sin. Right. Um, and sometimes some of, some of what I read actually did make that statement. Mm-hmm. You, know, that you should not compare yourself to someone else because it's sinful. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think comparison is a value-neutral tool that sometimes mm-hmm. can be used for good. But it can very easily lead to sin. Right. And you can't educate yourself out of that. Right. 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 No, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think we tend to think of comparison and judgment in um, morally negative terms. Even just talking about God as a God who judges, right, feels really icky to kind of our modern sensibilities. But judgment isn't necessarily isn't necessarily sinful or wrong or bad, right? It's, it's what we do with those things that we often twist. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And actually yeah. judgment, judgment, measurement, mm-hmm. um, it, it's an essential part of life. I mm-hmm. mean, um, um, I actually devote a chapter to talking about what comparison is. Mm-hmm. And once I got to thinking about it, I realized there were so many examples just from my one life mm. of when comparison of one kind or another had been life-saving, mm-hmm. life-giving, life-enhancing. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, it can be used for good lots of times because it's essentially just, um, it's the act of measurement of, of, of putting one one thing on one side of the scale and another thing on the other side of the scale, driving, mm-hmm. um, you know, just striving to achieve balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, it's a rhetorical tool. It's a teaching tool. I mean, Jesus used comparison a lot. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's a very useful tool, but when it comes to our evaluation of ourselves, I think comparison ends up, I, psychologists call these social comparisons mm-hmm. and, um, it, it, we end up getting in murky water there really quickly because 
um, anytime that we're actually judging people, we, we, can, we can end up in, in deep waters. And when we're judging ourselves using other people as the measuring stick, then we get into difficulty really quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do you think we tend to use comparison to like form our identities? You know, I'm smarter than her or I'm prettier than her or I'm more successful than him. Um, how do we get in that trap? Well, love and acceptance is an irreducible human need. Being loved and being accepted, those are irreducible human needs. We, every one of us needs to be loved and be accepted. And further, we need to know that we're loved and accepted. Yeah. We need to know we're lovable and acceptable. And it's just one of the things that human beings need in order to thrive. And so one of the ways that we look for that assurance is by noticing the people around us who appear to be loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we, we don't do this consciously very often. Sometimes we do, but often mm-hmm. it's just a subconscious thing that, yeah. oh, well, she appears to have it all together. Mm-hmm. This is how I would like to be like her mm-hmm. because I also want to have it all together. Right. And um, this can happen so rapidly. I mean, this is something that we, that we do really unconsciously or subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And we can do it constantly. Right. Um, for instance, in my own case, I was doing it so often. Um, and my tendency, as my, ho- my husband pointed out to me, was to choose the very best attribute of each person in, in my circle. Mm-hmm. So if I noticed that you were highly intelligent, then I might say, why can't I be as intelligent as Ashley? Mm-hmm. Or if that you were an excellent speaker, oh, I should be as good a speaker as Ashley. Mm-hmm. Or if you had really cute children, oh, why aren't, why aren't my children as cute as Ashley's or whatever. Right, yeah. Um, um, outstanding attribute about you, but I also did it about every other person I knew. Mm. Um, I assumed that all the best attributes were things that I should share. Mm-hmm. Not that I was trying to be better than everyone else. Right. I just would look at everyone else's good attributes and assume that the sum of all those attributes is what equaled a good, acceptable, lovable person. Mm-hmm. In fact, the title of the book comes from my husband's having said to me that I had created a mythical composite woman mm-hmm. made up of all those best attributes. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize I was doing that, <laughs> but I was doing it with the tool right. of comparison mm-hmm. because I was looking for assurance, mm-hmm. just like everybody else. I would love to know, as we're talking about this problem of comparison and identity formation and kind of creating this mythical person, right, that has it all together, that we compile, you know, the best of everybody else and feel like that that's the standard. Um, how does social media fit into that? Well, social media is a fact of most of our lives these days. Social media is not the source of a problem with comparison. Right. In fact, that conversation when my husband pointed out that I was doing it so often took place long before Facebook right. was yep. developed, yep. much less Instagram and all the other um, programs. <laughs> but I, it's fair to say that with the advent of social media, the problem has, has gone viral. I mean, the problem mm. is bigger. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is just because of the availability. Right. You know, I used to compare myself with people who lived on my street or people I went to 
church with or people I worked with, right? Now right. I can compare myself to you and right. you live on the other side of the country. Right. right? Anyone. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So Anyone, simple, everywhere. Simple <laughs> availability. But the other reason really is um, because social media has given us the opportunity to fall into, I actually think it, it's allowed us to fall into an ancient heresy. Mm. It's, it's the 21st century form of Gnosticism, I mm. think. Mm. We have, um, without meaning to very often, we have disembodied one another on social mm. media. Mm. So we interact with other people as if they and we were avatars. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, there are now peer-reviewed studies um, actually indicating what we all knew to be true just in our gut, that, that people really do put the best foot forward on social media. Yeah. I mean, we kind of knew that, but it's now been studied and it is true. People are, in fact, presenting um, just good results on social media very often yeah. or sometimes extraordinary bad results. For instance, someone might... Um, might post if there's a if they're facing a dramatic illness, but they don't usually post something about just the fact that you know they got a stomach virus and were right. up all night. You know, right. so yep. we post highlight reels, whether the highlights are good or bad. Then mm-hmm. those of us who are interacting with those posts assume that that's what a life is. Mm. We know full well that there's life behind that but we forget. Mm-hmm. And so I think that social media have, has enabled this, um, this disembodiment, this dualism that yeah. we're now, now all living with. And I don't think that we're, um, we're not bringing our, our <laughs> we're not bringing our higher brain capacities to social media. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Um, Right. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely not bringing our full humanity into, you know, into pixels and, you know, hashtags. Of course not. No. And we can't. And the medium can't sustain that. So how do we begin to even just wake up to the, like, we have to be awoken, right? Into the sense of, oh gosh, like I am being formed by my use of social media. How do we even begin to practice the waking up part before we deal with how to deal with that? Right. Well, practice is exactly the right word there, I think, because in, indeed we, we are formed by our practices. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of what my research revealed was that comparison becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. And, um, habits, you know, as you know, are very deeply seated in the brain mm-hmm. and have to be interrupted. So um, the awakening very often will require um, a habit to replace the habit of comparison. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Akempis, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that overcomes habit. And um, so one way is actually to employ various tactics that will seem to be too elementary to be helpful. Mm. And yet they are helpful. For instance, setting a timer, um, using an app that lets you know how much time you've spent on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, unfollowing a number of people so that the temptation to mindlessly scroll is not so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, making a rule for yourself. And it could be something so simple as every Monday, I will engage in social media only to the extent that I can comment 
I mean, it could be a very arbitrary little practice. Yeah. But when we begin, begin actually measuring the extent of our involvement, I think very often we're surprised mm-hmm. at the extent to which we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, really kind of, you know, t- to use a, a term that's usually used in spiritual circles, centering down. Mm-hmm. I think we need to center down a little bit back into ourselves with how we use social media, mm-hmm. realizing that I bring a full person to my interactions mm-hmm. and recognizing that you are a full person on your end of the interaction. And if I can use social media to encourage, then it can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And if I use it simply as a tool for myself, then that's a means of objectifying you. Mm. I need to nip it in the bud. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for a lot of us, that may actually require something radical to start with. You asked, how can we wake up? Yep. And um, I think for a lot of us, it might require some fasting mm-hmm. to, just to realize. I think if, if, if all of us fasted from the use of social media for, say, 48 hours, mm-hmm. might be surprised how much time we had on our hands. Right. We'll be back with our conversation with Rochella in just a moment. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And here's the rest of our conversation. Tell us, too, how you personally, you know, you spoke earlier on in the interview about the Trinity as kind of studying and being um kind of swept up into the life of God as, you know, the thing that really helped begin to root out comparison in your own life. So I'd love to hear, you know, maybe if you're able even to connect some of these ideas about habits and how that reformed you um, in relation to God. Yeah, well, I was really surprised when I started studying the Trinity. I first began studying the Trinity in earnest. Actually, I was preparing for a sermon mm-hmm. that I knew I was ill-equipped to give. <laughs> so I had to, to dig in pretty deep. Yep. And then I became fascinated by this mystery. And there's there's not another really good word to describe the Trinity. I mean, um, it, you're not going to be able to understand the Trinity, but this is the way that God reveals himself to mm-hmm. us in the pages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, the word Trinity is never used, and yet God reveals himself to us as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when I began seeing the way 
the persons of the Trinity interact just in, in the pages of my Bible as I read about the incredible love that the Father has for the Son, mm-hmm. and the way the Son interacts with his Father, and then says to us that my Father is your Father. Mm-hmm. The Son says, I will send you a comforter mm-hmm. to come after me who will be with you. And Jesus prays to his father that we could be one the way they are one. I mean, this is, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And yet what emerges is this pattern of other centered love. Mm-hmm. And it finally occurred to me that the, the, the basis of reality is not just some um, notion of God as a, you know, something so ethereal that there's nothing to grasp, but this eternal mystery of relationship. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from the fact that God in his very being is relationship. Yeah. And that as he um, forms for himself a people and as he um, brings people to himself, that, that God throughout human history um, is as Dallas Willard would say that that God was um, his desire is to form this eternal community of loving persons with Christ Himself, mm-hmm. the center of that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Mm. God desires relationship because God knows that relationship is the way we're made. You know, this is what our Maker has revealed to us about himself. Mm-hmm. And then I think about ourselves, if, if we'll listen to it. Mm. And as I thought about that fact, that, that, that eternal fact of relationship, I began to realize that comparison, this old habit of mine, um, maybe was not harmful because it was making me not appreciate what I had, mm-hmm. though that might be true. But it was harmful because in its very nature, it's isolating. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. me putting myself on one side of the scale and putting you on the other side of the scale. It forms a chasm. It mm-hmm. breaks relationship. My comparison is the thief of joy mm-hmm. because joy is found in relationship, mm-hmm. relationship with God and relationship with each other. Studying the Trinity is what brought that to light for me. Mm-hmm. Eternal relationship of other-centered love is the way to joy, mm. and um, this is this is what we're formed in, what we're formed for. Mm. That was beautiful. That is so much more satisfying, right? Than just like look inside yourself. You're beautiful as you are. Kind of oh. the shallow answer is never going to satisfy. Embrace your inner beauty. Or I mean, right. I read it all, right? Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, some of it's flat-out lies. Some of it, you know, some of the mantras that I was encouraged to undertake were things like, you're perfect just as you are. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but that's (laughs) not true, not for any member of humanity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You are perfectly lovable because you're a child of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Yeah. So, you know, embracing that mantra, I think is not going to help because it isn't true. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. A real confession, like, for instance, um, Henry Nouwen's, you know, I am not what I have. I'm not what I do. I'm not what others think of me. I mm-hmm. am the beloved child of a loving creator. Now, that I can get behind. Yeah. 
because those are true statements. Yep. I, I can I can join God in mm-hmm. stating that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Eternal truth is helpful, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> The slick versions on the top are not. Okay. <laughs> so tell us, how, what do you do? Um, you talk a little bit in your book about some of kind of your daily practices and habits that you have used to reform your kind of itch to go to your phone or, you know, any other kind of tool we use to, to compare ourselves. But maybe tell us one of those habits or two that have begun to help you root yourself in, in that beloved state of a child of God. Mm-hmm. Well, one is... you. You, I think you and Bryce talked about mind where you place your phone. Right. Yep. Uh, that's the first one. I, I, um, I just don't keep my phone by my bed because I think that's a, for reasons that you've already laid out as a bad idea. We don't keep our phones by our beds partly because we don't need to, you know, hop into that kind of temptation first of all, but also because it isn't conducive to rest. Mm-hmm. And I actually now approach rest actually as a spiritual discipline. Yeah. It's. I think. Um, it's, it's a countercultural thing mm-hmm. to rest, mm-hmm. um, an, an act of radical trust. Mm-hmm. The, the world will go on and um, that I can afford to take, to tend to my, my body and spirit's needs mm. by, for instance, sleeping mm-hmm. maybe seven hours. Now that can feel like a, a luxury that's just beyond us. And at certain times of your life, it is beyond. You've got a newborn baby, you're probably not going to sleep seven or eight hours. Yep. But those are seasons, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, many of us just adopt that as a habit yeah. because we, um, without realizing that we, we don't feel that we're entitled to rest, mm-hmm. or maybe we look down on people who rest or mm-hmm. think that they just aren't getting enough done. Um, so I would say rest is one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another habit that I have undertaken that has really helped is that before I get out of bed in the morning, and usually several times during the day, I actually pray the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. as a prayer. Yep. Um, and that's not something that I ever used to do. I would sometimes recite the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't actually pray the Lord's Prayer. And um, now I, I, I really ask God for His kingdom to come and His will to be done, and not just on earth as it is in heaven, but um, here in Durham, North Carolina, as it is in heaven, and mm-hmm. in my house as it is in heaven, and in my closet when I'm choosing clothes for the day, mm-hmm. and in my bathroom when I am taking a shower for the day, and in my kitchen as I am preparing dinner, and in my office as I'm working. I ask for God's will to be done in all of those places. Mm-hmm. Because I've come to understand that um, part of God's will is for human flourishing, is for me and my well-being. Mm-hmm. So what is good for me is actually part of God's will. Mm-hmm. And it's constant comparison that leads me to doubt that I am God's child is very much not His will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So praying that prayer has become mm-hmm. a really important practice for me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take very long. And I can do it over and over if I need to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have prayed the Lord's Prayer five times before I ever get to the <laughs> office in the morning. Yeah. But it helps. You know, li- little things help. Yes. And part of it is simply that we have to, to break the cycle. And um, actually, a lot of the new habits I've undertaken are forms of prayer 
because they 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 put me right, Ashley. They put me in a right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. They, I, I can use prayer, for instance, breath prayers. I can use as an interruption mm-hmm. um, if I start to compare myself with someone else. Mm-hmm. I can interrupt myself mid-thought mm-hmm. and prevail upon the creator of the universe to help me mm-hmm. all in a moment mm-hmm. with breath prayer. So that's become a helpful habit for me. Mm. So tell us about a breath prayer if if people are don't know what that is. Yeah. Who are listening. Um, actually, I didn't know what it was for many years. Right. But throughout um, Christian history, um, based on um, Jesus' teaching about the, the, the sinner who said, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Or actually the, the, at, the, at the time of uh, Jesus' teaching, yes. the sinner said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. And Christians developed a, a, what's called the Jesus prayer. Yep. Usually it's something like, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But the idea is that it's just a few words that can be uttered in one breath. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of have it in, in your pocket, in the time of need, right yep. when you need it, you can pull out this prayer, and you're not agonizing for the words. Mm-hmm. You've got something that you can just as natural as breathing, you can say these few words to help ground you and bring mm-hmm. you back to mm-hmm. the place you need to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there, there's no magic in breath prayers. They're not, they're not magic incantations, right? It's right, not right. abracadabra. Right. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is actually speaking to the living God. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, no, I love that. You know, as you talk, I, I'm reminded about some of these habits. They, you know, visually strike me as it's kind of like small little um, adjustments you make, right? When you're driving down the highway or something, you right. know, that you, oh gosh, I'm kind of veering a little bit towards the right side here. Just, you know, a small little adjustment of the steering wheel to get you back on course. And some of these, some yeah. of these habits, right, are just small little adjustments. Oh gosh, I'm realizing that I, yes. Lord Jesus, I need you every second, every hour. And this is mm-hmm. a tool simply to kind of readjust. Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's no magic. No. And it's not one of the things that really bothers me about some of what I read about comparison was be- things like, oh, five tips. You right. know, like <laughs> yeah. what gets offered is life hacks. You yeah. Know, yeah. Do this and you'll never compare again. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> no. What I can have, you know, I, I can't offer you. 40 days to never comparing again. I, yeah. 40 years. <laughs> this, is, this is life with right. Jesus. Yeah. It's just, it's one step at a time, one day at a time, living, sinking ever more fully into the love of God and coming to understand ourselves as beloved. Mm-hmm. So then we are released from the slavery of feeling that we're not loved you know, I mean, yeah. I think that we, as a society, we've become so self-conscious. We're so insecure. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have anything to offer our neighbors. Mm-hmm. We're always clamoring for ourselves, right? Yeah. yeah. If, I can, if I can remember that I'm God's beloved child, well, then I've got some margin. So mm-hmm. I can reach out a hand to you when you need it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's work to be done in the world. And there, there, there's a lot of good that needs to be shared. And if we're so wrapped up in just taking care of our own fragile psyches, then we, we can't do the work. Mm-hmm. So mm. That is 
So good. Before we end, I would love to ask you, what is your laundry routine? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) Wonderful question because it is so indicative of the fact that everyday life counts. Right. Everyday life actually is life. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, we're more than just life outside of what you're doing every day, then you know, right? And we're you know, we're more than just having a good conversation on a podcast, right? We we're we're full orbed embodied human beings. So, yeah, tell us your laundry routine. Okay, well, first I have to say that my laundry routine used to be a way that I compared myself to other people. Mm. Believe it or not, Mm -hmm. my younger sister is a laundry goddess. That's awesome. She she never has piles of laundry sitting around. Furthermore, she doesn't dry her clothes in the dryer. She hangs everything to dry. Oh, wow. And it's amazing, right? So I used to feel bad about the way I did laundry. Yep. Mm. My laundry routine now (laughs) is to separate clothes into lights and darks. And when I have a load of darks, I wash them and dry them and fold them, and put them away. And that is all. Mm-hmm. Well, The done, only though. other That's even harder. laundry <laughs> is emergency. Yeah. So when the dog pees on something, right. as happens, <laughs> yeah. I wash that immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it, right? Your laundry has become just laundry, right? You know, it's just, this is what I do, right? Rather right. than, oh, I'm not doing this right, or... Not well enough or as eco-friendly enough, right? Exactly. Well, I I used to agonize over it and try to adopt what could be the best system. Mm. I've decided there isn't any best system. I really like for there to be clothes clean. Right. (laughs) However you get there is Mm -hmm. just fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I think sometimes with this question, there's um, some people, right, it feels like we probably need to take more care and attention, right, to those small things, whether it's washing dishes or doing our laundry. And other people, you maybe just need to just do the laundry and not have it mean something too, right? You know, and there's different seasons, I think, even when when those things come up. So. Oh, absolutely. But, well, you know, I am comforted yeah. by um, Brother Lawrence, you know, practicing the presence of yep. God. Yeah. I actually think that that a lot of good conversations with God happen right there at the washer and dryer. Mm -hmm. It's a great time. (laughs) Yep, as you're waiting and doing the dishes too. Yeah. That's right. right. Oh, well, thank you. It's been such a rich conversation. Um, Friends, be sure to get her book, Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. It's a great, practical, and lovely book. So be sure to pick that one. Thanks so much for being here, Rosella. Thank you for the invitation, Ashley. Blessings. Rochella has so much to offer. She understands the ways in which we use comparison to try to find belonging and identity and love and asking those deep questions, am I lovable? And she draws us to real answers, real hope in her book, Myth Witch, by the way, just won InterVarsity Press's Reader Choice Awards. So that's so exciting. And so as a little thank you and a hooray, and we want to celebrate with Rochella, I'm going to give away one copy to you, my listeners here at the Finding Holy Podcast. All you need to do is head on over to aahales.com slash podcast, or you can click the giveaway link in the show notes and leave a 
rating or review for the Finding Holy podcast, and you'll be entered to win a copy of Rochelle's book. Thanks, InterVarsity Press. And now I want to leave you with one small step as you move into your day. And it's actually, I'm going to give you two. And the first is this. Set a timer on that iPhone. Social media can be the thing that just sucks us in, especially when we find ourselves in transition moments, whether we're waiting at a restaurant or waiting at a red light, which you shouldn't do. But we find ourselves sucked into anything to distract us from ourselves even. And we can easily turn something like a neutral tool like comparison into something that actually detracts from our full embodied humanity. So put a timer on your phone. Choose when you're going to actually engage with social media. Put a timer on your phone. Let us know how it goes by tagging me at AA Hales on social media, um, which I realize is a little bit ironic. And we'd love to hear if that helps slow you down to begin to root your identity into the things of God. It's not simply taking something away, but also adding to. So I'm going to just borrow directly from Rochella. Before your feet hit the floor, pray the Lord's Prayer. Not simply say it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, but actually say, I am me in this body with this soul, with these desires and ideas, and I live in this house. I live in with these people, I live in this city or suburb, that affects where we hope to see the kingdom of God come and how we live it out in our day-to-day life. So I love what Rochella did. Turn some of those places into specific places that matter for you. And we hope that as these small habits are practiced, that they actually help like small little movements with our steering wheel, redirect us to the wide, spacious pathways of God. So don't forget, head on over to aahales.com slash podcast or click the link right there in your show notes so you can win a copy of Rochelle's book, Mythical Me. And remember, big things matter, but so does the laundry. Blessings on you, friend, whether you're doing your lights or your darts this week. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.